live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios. This is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to Meet in the Middle Chronicles. I'm Sam Collins. And I'm Norman Pappas. We met in an office and discovered that despite each of us consistently voting for different political parties, we shared a common goal of leaving our kids a better world. When we started talking to each other, we found that we could meet in the middle on many issues that face our nation. That got us wondering, why can't our elected representatives agree, find the middle on issues? I don't give up my values when I compromise, and neither does Sam. But we know that compromise serves our kids better than what we see in the current political atmosphere. We had a successful radio show, then the Chinese bought the station. But we got with the times, and now we have a podcast. Normally, at this time on the podcast, we provide a quick synopsis of what we will be covering, but today's podcast is special. Sam and I attended the Mike for Black America rally here in Houston last night, and that's all we're going to be recovering during this podcast because it was a critical event for the Bloomberg campaign and therefore critical to the hopes of many Democrats who are terrified that an extremist progressive may take the nomination. Before I set the table for our listeners, two things. First, we live stream this on our Facebook page, Meet in the Middle Chronicles, so please like us on Facebook. Secondly, I'd like, to, like everyone to hear uh, Jason Johnson's d- discuss the role black voters will play in a still wide open Democratic primary field. He is responding to Brian Williams on MSNBC, who questions if the Democratic Party will abandon Bernie Bernie Sanders and drive over to Bloomberg's side of town. I think they can get around to the other side of the town once we start getting to the side of town where other people live. Look, we're dealing with the first two states that have 96 and 98 percent white voters. It doesn't count. It's like anybody who got into the Baseball Hall of Fame before Jackie Robinson came in. You can't consider either of these first two primaries or caucuses to be particularly valid. Once we get to Nevada, where you have a Latino population, uh, 6 percent Asian Americans are going to be caucusing, 13 percent African Americans. Then you get to South Carolina. That is the real test as to where these Democratic candidates are. Any of these things that are happening beforehand are just window dressing. And that is why it's really key. Brian, when you pointed out in the poll, it's not just that Bloomberg has jumped to 22 percent. It's that black voters basically leapfrog Bernie Sanders. Black voters said we would rather vote for the king of stop and frisk and gentrification than for Bernie's socialist revolution. That says something about what his message does and does not do for the most important constituency for the Democratic Party. So in that clip, he, he at the end, he talks about how um, African-American voters basically have just jumped over uh, Sanders and Buttigieg uh, in support of Bloomberg. And I, I found that quite interesting. I mean, it's factual. Uh, Biden was polling at 49 or 50 percent. 52. And now he's down to, I believe, 29. Yeah. And almost all of that support has gone to Bloomberg. I mean, he skyrocketed to uh, the second position. And I, I don't think the other campaigns have had enough, uh, an aggressive enough campaign going after the African-American voters in the Democratic primary. Yeah, I think that's going to change now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and it's reactive, though. So in this situation, Bloomberg was very proactive. He skipped the the first two Iowa and New Hampshire uh, because he knows to win the Democratic primary, you're going to have to have African-American support. And it was evident last night. 
Yeah, the the one thing I want to point out is that uh, you know the, the the guy who was talking to Brian Williams spoke about how the black community did not get a voice in Iowa or New Hampshire, and I, I understand that point. But you know, if you look at the minorities that were in the race previously, Kamala Harris, um, Cory Booker, and Julian uh, Castro. Well, they dropped out before all this happened, and their polling nationally was not that good, which did include the African-American vote. The African-American vote wasn't, wasn't polling for them, you know, even back then, and that's why they're out. So this whole thing about Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, I, I take it with a grain of salt, and I, I use this as my point. Kamala Harris on August 20th, after announcing for several months the senator from California uh, was polling fourth in her own state. So I, I don't think it was Iowa and New Hampshire that pushed out Booker or Kamala Harris or Julian Castro. I think their message just didn't resonate. Uh, that, that's part of it. Uh, I, uh, and I can see your point with her polling in fourth in California. You would think in your home state, you would definitely uh, look for a home field advantage. Uh, I also realized that when, when Bloomberg came in and, and threw in uh, – all the resources that he had, they they really couldn't compete. I mean, last night you just take uh, what were that three or four food trucks on the street? I think three food trucks on the street. Yeah. All the food was free. Uh, there was food inside. Uh, not saying that people bought for dinner, but I mean to be able to put on that kind of event, uh, holding it at uh, a minority museum, the Buffalo Soldiers National mm-hmm. Museum, uh, that was strategic. Uh, the people that he brought in uh, to speak, the mayors, other special guests he had. I mean, it was a production. Uh, he even uh, mentioned it in his comments at the at the thing. You want want to thank the production team because they really put on a show. I, I likened it to going to somebody's house and bringing some flowers or a bottle of wine. You know, he he was coming there with a great deal of respect, and he wanted to show that. Um, you know, that he was appreciative of being given the opportunity to speak to these people, you know, firsthand. Yeah, and like I said, he had the speakers from, uh, uh, or mayors from uh, Washington, D.C., and the other mayor was from Columbia, South Carolina. And, of course, he got Mayor Turner's uh, endorsement uh, here locally, and, and Turner introduced him. Um, but, you know, he Turner uh, mentioned in his comments that, Bloomberg had to do a public apology. So we know originally Bloomberg, uh, when he first started his campaign, he did an apology at a church. So last night he comes out and uh, he's basically doing a, an apology tour in in the uh, African American community. But you know, I liken it to when when you did something when you were little and your mom or dad said you're gonna apologize and you really didn't want to do it. And, I'm sorry. You know, you did it reluctantly. Now he didn't do it like that last night. That was just me ad-libbing a little bit. But you, you, when you're forced to apologize, I don't know if it's as sincere. I hope it will be sincere. It has yet to be proven. But let's let's listen to the audio uh, from 2015 of uh, the problem that uh, Bloomberg has with his position on stop and frisk. murders murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description Xerox it and pass it out to all the top. They are male minorities 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. So in that clip you you hear him uh, saying that, you know, the 
suspects and victims all fit one MO, 95% of them. Uh, you could just Xerox it and pass it around. And that's just not true. Now, th- this is what boggles my mind. And hypocrisy is handcuffed to politics, no doubt about it, on both sides of the aisle. Bloomberg had run as a Republican. And he considered himself a Republican, and he was proud about it. He spoke at the Republican convention. He said these things. If he had been a Republican still running in the Republican convention, what would have been the reaction of the minority Democratic leadership? Would they have forgiven him? No, they wouldn't want to forgive him. I mean, there are a lot of people still not wanting to forgive him. Yeah. Uh, and, And that's a valid point. So he... As you say, he ran as a Republican. We also can say our current president was once considered a Democrat. Yes. So, yeah, it is the politics of today. Yes. Uh, and, and there's one. There, so, there, are we trading billionaires? Yeah. <laughs> well, we might be. That that that's that's for certain. And, and I want to get to that point later. But there, there's something that that struck me, and we spoke about it on the drive home yesterday. And that was uh, the name he decided to give to uh, to this effort of his. It's called Mike for Black America. And a lot of people are saying that he didn't want to uh, have the, the, the title or, or he didn't want to have it labeled as Black America for Bloomberg because he wanted to say, I am with you, not you are with me. And uh, that would be a little too audacious you know, for, for people they thought. So that was a smart move. But it, it, there was something nagging in the back of my mind. I didn't get it until I left. And when he says Mike for Black America, I think it it leaves him open to a reporter sticking a microphone in his face and saying, when are you going to start your effort for Mike for white America or Mike for brown America or Mike for yellow America or Mike for red America? And uh, we have have an audio clip here from uh, Barack Obama, and this is one of his you know, seminal speeches. He, he, He was an incredible, incredibly talented speaker, is an incredibly talented speaker. But listen to this, you'll recognize this. Now, even as we speak, there are those who are preparing to divide us. The spin masters, the negative ad peddlers, who embrace the politics of anything goes. Well, I say to them tonight, there is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. Okay, so we are not a liberal America. We are not a conservative America. We are not this America. We are the United States of America. That was a great message. But given that landmark speech, you know, somebody eventually is going to come up and say, so, you know, given Barack Obama's speech, you know, is, is Bloomberg qualifying as a divider, spin master or a negative ad peddler, as, as Obama says in his speech? Yeah, it, uh, I was surprised by that uh, when we got there, uh, Mike, for Black America also, because it, it just seems so obvious uh, that, you know, it's a, it's a marketing uh, angle. I, I would have thought that he would have had a campaign with, say, a, a black agenda for the community where he talks about certain issues that are affecting the, the African-American or black community as opposed of a headline of Mike for black America. Now, uh, you know, we're, we're here and he's there with his marketing company. So 
I guess his marketing team is a little bit better than ours. Uh, they oh. did a study somewhere. So uh, for me, I would have thought to your to your message about uniting, uh, going back to Obama's speech at the time. Uh, President Obama, he wasn't president at the time, but at the time he gave that speech, that was a phenomenal message of bringing the country together and at, at such a divided time. But I think we're, I guess we're in a divided politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, the coach is going around telling the linemen that they're the best position on the team, and then he goes to the quarterbacks and say, <laughs> we need, you're the, you're the most important position. Yeah. Uh, so, but he's going to have to have a message to go back to what you were saying. Yeah, but but it goes to, I think, you know, you hear, you hear the term that uh, journalists use or editors use saying you buried the lead. And I think he had another part of his speech that was much more effective and spoke to a broader constituency, including the minority constituency, and was much more positive. He said in his speech, um, it's time to put the United back in the United States of America. I thought, that to me, that was where he should go. He should go there. Because that was, if you look at, if you think that uh, people who, who uh, challenge incumbents are trying to find the reaction to what the incumbent, to the weak point of the incumbent, the weak point of this incumbent is his tone. It's divisive. Okay, it might be effective, but it's divisive. Well, and it's effective for his base. Yeah, well, 65 million people. Okay, you know, it, it, you know he got a lot of people. So, but, you know, saying um, it's time to put the United back in the United States of America, I think carries the same message as Mike for Black America, only it's more positive, more hopeful, more inclusive, and reaches a broader audience. For our meet in the middle Commentary. I would have to agree that that was a, a key line in his speech, and I'm sure that uh, he's going to be using that in the general election. Yeah. But right now, I think he's specifically marketing to the African American community to win the primary. Right. So that message may be coming back around what you're saying, but just in the general, and and that is problematic sometimes too, in that the primary messages uh, are often different. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to win the primaries and then to uh, move into the general, you change tactics. Right, same person. Now, before we get to his apology, because we have his apology, uh, there, there's something I, I thought about this morning because I was watch all the news programs covered this this morning, co- covered that speech last night, and there was something that was at the actual event that was not noticeable on TV, and I didn't really pick up on it until I watched it on television. Sam, if you remember, the dais where he spoke from was separate from the stage of the people behind him holding the Bloomberg 2020 signs. There was a gap. So you could walk. So he wasn't connected to the stage where all those people are on there. Mm -hmm. And all I could think of this morning was if he doesn't make it, that is such a tell that you know, disconnect yeah disconnect because he was willing to stand in front of them on television but he really wasn't connected to them he was on a platform separate from that stage yeah now the uh defense or counter to that argument is that the facility just didn't have enough space for what they wanted they had to kind of build that out uh the stage but the optics you know it's like uh President, uh, the first President Bush, when he looked at his watch, sometimes the optics are worse than what uh, was intended. So, you know, he he uh, 
may not have noticed that disconnect, but because of the facility and the room there mm-hmm. at the Buffalo Soldiers uh, Museum, I don't think he was trying to get away from people. Mm-hmm. I think they just had to set it up that it, way. It, but but to your point, the optics of it looks bad. Yeah, that you're not amongst the people. You're separated right. from the people. And maybe you should give a little bit of history about this because it was at the Buffalo Soldier Museum in the Third Ward, and that has a lot of black history in that area. With the Buffalo Soldiers uh, uh, in Third Ward, yes, uh, you got Emancipation Park there. Uh, Third Ward, they call it the Museum District now, Midtown, and a lot of people are upset about that, of rebranding that community away from the title of Third Ward. And what they were making uh, a point of last night is to say it's still Third Ward. People are, the African-American community is still there. Uh, You have the Buffalo Soldiers National Museum, which uh, Captain uh, Paul Matthews is uh, director there. He's actually from Lamarck in Galveston County, the director of the uh, facility there. And he's, he's done a lot collecting that history of the Buffalo Soldiers and oftentimes individuals confuse the Buffalo Soldiers with the United States Colored Troops. So United States Colored Troops fought during the Civil War, and then after the Civil War was over, you have the Buffalo Soldiers who were given their name by the Native Americans when they started the Indian Wars and things where they were fighting, and they gave them, um, referred to them like the Buffalo because of the hair and things. So Buffalo Soldiers that they came after the United States Colored Troops. So that's a little little history for Black History Month there in February. Yeah, and, and it's a, we should tell our listeners, it's a fabulous museum. And yes, uh, if you have not been, uh, you, you support uh, our military and country. Uh, the Buffalo Soldiers were one of the uh, most famous fighting forces uh, in our military. So you should get over there uh, to the Buffalo Soldier Museum. They have, uh, um, you could go online, uh, find their uh, address, uh, don't have it in front of me, uh, and go visit the museum, make a donation to help them uh, uh, keep the museum going to tell this history. I, my family and I actually have uh, one of their brick pavers out there. We made a donation and mm. got a brick. I think it was $150. So we want to play the apology Bloomberg gave uh, in Houston last night. So listen to this audio. I defended it looking back for too long because I didn't understand then the unintended pain it was causing to young black and brown families and their kids. I should have acted sooner and faster to stop it. I didn't, and for that I apologized. Again, when I, when I think about uh, how and why, uh, in order to get the Democratic nomination, he's going to have to bridge this gap in the african-american community but i don't know i don't know how you measure sincerity of how sincere an apology is he's saying the right words he's saying it in the tone that it's supposed to be said i was wrong but there are still some comments we don't have uh the clip where he he was talking about the central park five but even with something as recent as um the central park five which are uh now referred to as as the exonerated five for people that don't understand that history these young men five young boys were convicted of of raping a woman in new york in central park and they served several years in jail later to be found out through dna testing that they were not uh the ones that did the crime and they were let out and they settled with new york and one of the problems is bloomberg uh didn't necessarily agree and fought that settlement 
Uh, and still today, he has yet to fully um, acknowledge that they were innocent. Uh, his comments online, if you go look them up about the Central Park Five, are more, you know, they uh, it's done now and we just have to accept it. Right. But you know, even Netflix has a documentary on it that leaves very little doubt. I should say no doubt. It leaves no doubt that there was a great injustice perpetrated on these kids. Yeah, five kids. And why not just say we were wrong, I apologize, and let's make it right. You know, when you fight the settlement for these kids to, I mean, no amount of money can give them their lives back. You know, they were young people when they went in there, and the, the psychological damage, of course, they, they are healing. They're with their families now. They're making the best of it, but you can't undo what happened to them and it's uh that is hard for some people to overcome you know when do you forgive someone i think you know if if you want to repent for your actions and you want to be forgiven i think you have to be more sincere right but you know he but there's something else and we don't have the clip from it but elizabeth warren uh started attacking bloomberg on the issue the red line issue and uh, I'll let you explain what the red line issue is, but but Elizabeth Warren brought it up. This is her ballywick, you know. She is big in consumer credit issues, on home ownership issues, and uh, financial services issues with regards to uh, the minorities in America. And she looked straight at a crowd, and she got a big ovation when she said, "We don't need another billionaire who thinks that the reason 2008 happened was uh, loans were given to poor people." Exactly. Uh, and this is where he's vulnerable. So how does he make it right? So well, Explain the red line, what happened, because Bloomberg so, talked about that and how he thought it was partially responsible for 2008. Well, w communities that were redlined by banks were communities that they would not make investments in. Ma majority of the time, those were minority communities where capital could not be accessed to buy homes and business, start businesses. And those communities, because of that, uh, suffered and they didn't appreciate as well. Individuals didn't have the capital. Uh, and then you have other communities that were given the resources for individuals to buy homes, to clean up their uh, communities, for their businesses to prosper. So basically when a bank draws a line around your neighborhood and says, if, if you had a village and you depended on the river to run through that village for water and somebody just cut that river off, your village would die. So when you redline a, a section of town like that, you basically cut off the resources that's going to give that community life. Right. And the, and the Democrats put forward an act in Congress that mandated banks pay more attention to those areas. And Bloomberg actually credited that with the 2008 uh, meltdown, which... Yeah. Again, if he was a Republican, that would have been a racist statement and people would be going crazy. Well, that, he's going to have to uh, come back and fix that in the message to increase home ownership through the Greenwood Initiative, which we're getting ready to get into. That's part of the Greenwood Initiative. It's going to be important. How are you going to take now and change your message, rebrand yourself, and do the work. My problem with what he has been talking about with the plans is that it's promises after he becomes president. I would like to see some of his resources be directed to those communities now 
ahead of the election and now before the before the primary and the general election to put into effect some of the things that you're talking about with these homes. Could he help 100,000 people get into a home tomorrow? I'm not saying give it to him. But is it possible with the billions he has that he's spending? He could open a mortgage business in you know in Harlem yesterday. Yeah, he could open a mortgage business in the poor area in the third ward. He could open all that. He has fifty-five billion dollars. Let's just look at what he's budgeting to run for president. You know, I've heard as high as three billion dollars. If he took one billion dollars and just put it into minority communities that were suffering from bad loans and offered them low interest loans. I'm not even saying give away homes or things like that. But if he was just the mortgage business, as you speak about, where individuals that have suffered through uh, with problems with their credit, low credit scores and stuff, minority community, he could go into minority communities, refinance immediately mm-hmm. home loans and business loans that people have high interest rates on and, and cut those things and that would be something that's tangible that would go on past the election, whether he won or not. Right. And this is something that separates. And we're, by the way, Sam talked about the Greenwood Initiative. Uh, we cannot stress or underline the Greenwood Initiative enough and how important it is to his campaign. It was, it was spoken about several times during his speech, before his speech. It didn't get a lot of play on the national air times, but the Greenwood Initiative is essentially his plan to uh, bring prosperity into the poor communities, the poor urban communities. But Sam, uh, explain the significance of the term Greenwood. Greenwood is a community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where it was once considered uh, this community the Black Wall Street. Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, In 1921, there was a horrible uh, race riot there that destroyed uh, the community. I think over 600 uh, businesses, uh, hundreds of people uh, killed. Uh, They're currently doing an investigation now trying to find the mass grave of where all those individuals were were, uh, buried uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For years, it's been a covered up story. Uh, It was an example of a community that after uh, enslavement of individuals ended, uh, slavery ended, those uh, individuals moved to Oklahoma and started prospering. There were more black millionaires there than I think anywhere in the country. Uh, This was uh, a community, when you talk about meritocracy and you talk about capitalism, America's dream, they they had a, a, a flourishing community there. And something happened uh, in the in the uh, community there between a black male and white female, or perceived uh, indiscretion or something, and it it created this race riot that then led to the destruction of that community. And that community rebuilt because they had the knowledge of how to rebuild, which is an important part of the story too. Uh, something that later destroyed the community is when they ran the the freeway and the highway through it, and that basically destroyed it Mm -hmm. uh, the second time. So Greenwood uh, has a significant place in the history of African-American history and American history. And it's a story, if you have not heard about the Tulsa race rise, you should research that and and look at this community that was thriving. So his Greenwood initiative talks about a million new homeowners, uh, tripling the African-American net worth and doubling African-American businesses. So all of those things sound like a great plan. 
And again, he has been pro- proactive in his messaging to the community where I think other candidates, specifically uh, Biden, just took for granted that he was going to capture this demographic. He Absolutely. Was, yes, he did. He was riding an Obama wave and, and, and o- o- Obama's votes are going to be my votes. And he didn't work hard enough with the message, I don't think. And he still has time. What are you going to do to improve the lives of those individuals? Let me, th- there's, a, there's a debate going right now in the Democrats. Do, does the successful candidate promote their ideas and defend their ideas, or does the successful candidate attack Trump? Uh, a lot of that is going on uh, attacking Trump. But I, I think in the primary, what, what uh, Bloomberg was able to do, back to what we were just talking about, is uh, uh, many people have been focusing, we're all going to beat Trump. Right. We're all going to be Trump. Well, you first got to beat everybody in your primary. Mm-hmm. So Bloomberg recognized where was the uh, weak point? I could go after the African-American community. No other candidate is targeting this demographics specifically because they're trying to find out how can we capture a lot of the moderate independent white vote to bring them back over from Trump. Right. And they left their base. Right. I think that the, the, there's there's a very telling difference with with Bloomberg. He talks, and, and to your point, I think if I had fifty five billion dollars, I would have shoved that into some black communities a year ago, and, and started on on this because put your money, you know, walk the talk. And this is the difference between a Republican and Bloomberg. Um, under P- President Trump, he got commitments from businessmen to hire more minorities as interns. And, uh, you know, he's reduced uh, unemployment, those kind of things through through tax advantages and just the power of the Oval Office. He is doing it through the business world. Bloomberg seems to want to do it through Washington, D.C., and take money from Washington, D.C. to implement these instead of having having the businesses themselves understand the benefits and, and uh, kind of doing some kind of moral suasion. And I, I think that's a big difference between, you know, where Bloomberg stands and where any Republican would stand, is that Bloomberg is saying, I'm going to take your money and this is what I'm going to do with it. While we want to, you know, while we want to force more resources down to the uh, the poor communities, uh, we think the Republicans think the better way to do it is through tax advantages. Um, and I think Trump did something like that, and I forget what it's called, but to, uh, advantage mm-hmm. zones or there's some sort of opportunity, zone, zones. opportunity zones. Yeah. So the, the I have to push back a little bit here. Sure. Uh, Bloomberg has been a much more successful businessman than President Trump. I, you cannot disagree. So the argument that Trump is uh, doing it more from a business point of view, I think uh, I think Bloomberg still has a business mind, uh, even if he's going to use the assistance of some government programs to to help with this. Uh, you know, he created, I believe, more jobs than than President Trump. Uh, his businesses have not failed. They have been successful. Uh, he he did not inherit his wealth. I mean, there we we could go on and on. We're not at the general. Uh, campaign yet, but if the, these are the talking points that they will be using during that sure. time period, yeah. Uh, but but I think the the programs that he's talking about could be very beneficial 
uh, high tides lift all boats. And it's, it's something that the community, but I want to see them implement it. Like you said, a year ago, why not start a year ago? And by now you would have evidence of where you went in and helped to get 50,000 new homeowners, 100,000. So if you're going to get a million new homeowners, if he had started six months or a year ago, could he have 100,000 already in homes? Or could he have refinanced 100,000 home loans and helped people currently? Could you imagine what kind of message that would send for all of them to have? My interest rate was X and when I refinanced with Bloomberg Mortgaging, it was X minus 1% or 2% or 3% or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a commercial that could have ran. And he, he wouldn't have to do it just for African-Americans. He could have done it for Americans. Because right. many Americans are suffering from a, a system that may be stacked against them with the credit score. Uh, and they don't know how it works, and so they're getting affected, so they're paying extra, extra interest. And that's that's kudos to Elizabeth Warren because she knows the credit, the consumer credit industry, and 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 personally, and she should be getting she, more attention. She she has targeted that, and she knows it. Okay, Sam, we got we got to go, but I, I want I want to ask you, you know, what's going to happen with Bloomberg based on last night? From what I saw, he has he has done a phenomenal job getting key figures in the communities. One, uh, with the mayor's group. If he, he gets minority mayors all over the country to support him, which he had several there last night, that was key. Key pastors in mega churches and communities where uh, they have a lot of credibility with the community, that was key. If Biden loses the pastors, the African-American pastors, black pastors, uh, and the black mayors. He is, in, he, and he Toast. is in big tr- Toast. Toast. Okay, but this, this brings up one other thing I got to ask you. We're running a little late, but I got to ask you, why aren't they giving any love to Bernie? Because Bernie is pushing the same message. Bernie's saying, you know, we have to pay more attention to the poor. Well, I think, I think Bernie is... Uh, Individuals just don't know him kind of like personally, his message. I, they hear uh, free college, free medicine, which we need health care and, and people want that. Uh, but I don't think they hear the message of uh, us against them, the billionaires. And, and there are people there, are, you know, Bernie's crowd is, his base is there. Uh, the Bernie bus crowd is like... Uh, but I don't think it has resonated enough in the African-American community. And yeah. him coming from Vermont, uh, it's just not, uh, they just don't know him and, enough. And to me, that's and, really and, perplexing. And the reason they don't know him is because he has been independent. He hasn't been right. a Democrat. So he hasn't been in the family. And that'd be an interesting thing for us to look up. Who's been a Democrat longer, Bloomberg or Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, uh, we said, you know, uh, Bloomberg had been a Republican, so uh, even though he had been on on the Republican side, New York, and there are people that I know from the New York area that said they would never blo- vote for Bloomberg. These are African Americans. African American These- individuals that said they they know not only the stop and frisk, but just uh, his his attitude toward unions, his attitude, uh, uh, things that happened with the with gentrification and him blaming communities, they have problems with him outside of stop and frisk. Right, and uh, you know, to me that that carries a lot of weight. So, 
that's it for this week. Please like us on Facebook. For the end of the show, we're going to be offering up some story headlines that might interest you like we do every week. From Yahoo.com, former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly to Fox News viewer, you are not an informed citizen. And, you know, when I read this, he, he, he made a point that if you uh, only listen to things that you agree with, uh, that's why you're not a f- informed. So that could be Fox News or anywhere that you're getting your message. But he's saying to Except the Fox here, News, because we present both sides. We, both sides, and then we try to meet in the middle. That's right. So from Market Watch, Internet hotly debates this video of a man seemingly punching the reclined seat of a woman in front of him on a flight. Did you see that? It's, no, no. it's, it's viral. No, I had not. Th- this woman puts her seat back, and this guy starts hitting it. You know, and, and they're in coach, and, and people are taking both sides of this argument that if you're in coach, you shouldn't, you know, recline. Yeah. And people are saying, well. Man, know. I've had that, that, that back of that chair hit my knee before, and <laughs> I haven't gone off to punch, punch the seat, but it is, it is uh, painful. From CBSnews.com, girl athletes sue over boys competing as girls. Uh, with two daughters, I can, I can understand if I had a daughter, I would be upset. Uh, you know, I don't know if that needs to be another category for individuals to compete in. I'm not saying they can't be athletes and compete, but it just doesn't seem fair to me. Did you hear that Dwayne Wayne's son is now his daughter? Yes. I, I, I saw the stories surrounding that, and I want to support human beings and individuals, but I think when you have a physical advantage, I mean, it's just Well, I was just advantage. thinking, can you imagine on a girls' basketball court? He's, no. he's going to be setting some records. Um, from aljazeera.com, this is really spooky. And I re- I'm going to say this again. From aljazeera.com, mother reunites with dead daughter in virtual reality. There's a documentary by a Korean channel. It's been watched over 13 million times online. And a mother is interacting through virtual reality with a daughter that died of leukemia, I believe, in 2016. And because of they have video of the daughter, they have pictures of the daughter, and the the mother and the daughter are playing hide-and-seek, and and she's hearing the daughter's voice, and the daughter is speaking. And, I mean, Mm. it's... I don't know if I would want, want... I mean, I don't want to lose anyone... But it would really bother. I, I don't know how I would do it. Uh, uh, so no, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, from the South China Morning Post or SCMP.com, everything and we mean everything you need or want to know about the coronavirus. There's even an article about how it is hitting the lobster industry as lobster consumption has taken a nosedive as Chinese avoid restaurants or anywhere. People are in confined spaces. Yeah, that's it's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, from Reuters.com, this might hit us. The G20 agrees to push ahead with the digital tax. Um, yeah, I, I saw a meme on this this week, and then the meme had said, um, it questioned how the government cannot stop spam phone calls, but believes that if you give them more money, they can lower the Earth's temperature and solve global warming. Uh, a digital tax... I can't imagine this is not going to be uh, a, a big deal in Congress and possibly in the presidential race. That's it. Enough people go out and meet in the middle. Leave, Compromise. Leave our kids a better place. <laughs>